Welcome to Offline Thoughts, where I talk about online personalities, cultural events, and popular movements. I'm really glad that you're listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So in this week's episode, I'd like to talk about the soft girl era. So for anybody who spends any amount of time on sort of like femininity content on TikTok or Instagram, you'll come across a soft girl era or soft life movement, if you will. And the movement is pretty basic, uh, not in an insulting way, just simple to grasp. It's basically people, predominantly women, almost actually, no, let me take that back. It, back it's exclusively women who are essentially fed up with hustle culture and grind culture that tells them that you know their their goal in life or the way to fulfillment is basically to grind and hustle and make money and find a way to have enough money in the bank to buy a home and to like be financially successful and and have financial independence and the reason why this movement has sort of taken off is that many people during the boss babe era where we had molly may telling us we all have the same 24 hours and we had Kim Kardashian telling us that nobody wants to work and we had Beyonce telling us about how she was a boss babe and she ruled the world. A lot of people initially followed um, personalities like that and followed that ideal of grinding to make money to get that financial freedom. But what they discovered was actually that long before they were ever able to attain that financial freedom and financial independence, they actually experienced burnout. Experience where you're working, working, working and you realize that actually the the success takes a lot longer than you anticipated and in between achieving success and you working you find that you no longer have the motivation because it's physically taxing it's emotionally taxing and also other parts of your personal life have to suffer necessarily so if you're spending all your time thinking about sort of developing multiple income streams or having a side hustle or having a side jobs then it necessarily means that you don't have enough time to, for example, spend time nurturing yourself, getting your hair done, getting your nails done, going for massages, you know, exercising your body, spending time in meditation or spiritual practice, or even just spending time, meaningful quality time with family and friends. And for prolonged periods of of time, when you do that, when you don't look after the part of you that needs to be taken care of in that way most people end up feeling what we describe as burnout that feeling where you can't take the work anymore you dread getting up in the morning and going to your job or you dread having to hustle over and over again to not get anywhere and you essentially become emotionally and energetically depleted by those efforts so people who believe in the in the soft girl era or who follow the movement basically take it a step further even beyond this and they say not only is it depleting physically energetically emotionally to engage in such aggressive forms of hustle culture it also is inherently a masculine pursuit so they say that the natural order of things is that women are supposed to receive and that men are supposed to be the ones who are essentially the hunter-gatherers who take on the physically and emotionally taxing work and that the woman's role the role of the feminine the role what it means to be a feminine person or a feminine woman is that you are not supposed to be engaging in that sort of aggressive pursuit of money uh, that requires you to really use high levels of adrenaline that uh, that requires you to work 
hard and work long hours and that when you do engage in those sorts of behaviors or activities inherently you're depleting your feminine energy so the long the amount of time that you're spending hustling and grinding is basically the time that you're not spending in feminine pursuits and feminine pursuits is is broad but largely speaking it's activities that center around self-care in various forms so whether it's like physical self-care things like like soft levels of exercise like pilates or yoga or going for gentle walks or or just physically taking care of yourself in in an aesthetic way so like looking after your hair making sure your nails are healthy making sure you've got a good skincare routine making sure that you're getting enough rest so that you're not aging poorly and that you're not stressed because of lack of sleep or it's things like emotional and spiritual well-being so it's about meditation it's about being centered it's about being aware of your emotions and focusing on the emotions that basically bring peace of mind and bring about a gentle form of existence and what the soft girl era says is that this feminine state of being as they define it is inherently incompatible with hustle culture and generally pursuing capitalism I guess you could say so you know having a business for example or working long hours or trying to get up the corporate ladder is always going to end up putting you in conflict with the feminine state of being now there are other components to soft girl era it's also partly about decentering men in what women want to do so it's about sort of gaining the peace of mind that you get when you don't focus on trying to please men so you're not dressing for them you're not trying to behave in ways that they find palatable you're not pursuing men who are not interested in you you're you're basically in a confident state of softness where what is for you comes to you and what isn't for you doesn't come for you but either way you're never really in the state of pursuing anything because feminine energy is supposed to be inherently attracting to the to the right things so they're sort of the key components there's other like micro components and there's other interpretations but I would say most people who follow the soft girl era probably agree with those central tenets now I personally think that there's lots of positive components of the soft girl era movement and one of those positive developments I would say is that it's sort of a counter to what the socialization that women go through. So most girls and women go through the socialization where they are taught in various ways that the right way to be or their natural state of being is a state of always giving. So they're expected to be kind, to be generous, to be nurturing, to be caring, to be sympathetic, to be sharing. And all those things equate basically to different forms of adjectives of being a giver. And there's nothing inherently wrong with being a giver, only to the extent that in the in the in the woman context or in the way that girls and women are socialized, it's always at the expense of self. So it's always in a self-sacrificial way. And what I mean by that is when you think about the sort of archetypes that are revered by popular culture in the female context it's always or I perceive often you know outside obviously like the sex symbols like when you think of like sort of mother figures for example or just general quote-unquote nice girls they're always accommodating to a fault so they'll meet somebody who is 
abusive in the sense that they take more than they deserve or they they take more than they ought to. And the reason why the woman is held up as being a nice person or a good person or somebody to live up to is because she's so self-sacrificing. She's willing basically to lay down, suppress her feelings, and basically let people walk all over her, specifically let men walk all over her. And if she's able to endure for a very long time without support, without help, and continue to give and give of herself, then eventually she's held up in rap songs, for example, where you hear rappers talking about how their mothers like gave everything to them, or they talk about how their ideal of their ideal woman is the kind of woman who would go to prison for them, who would do time for them, who would be so sacrificing that she would literally give up her freedom for them. So it's not the person who is centering herself or who is putting her own interests um, first. Often women are being socialized in a way that basically says if you want to gain gain male acceptance or if you want to be seen as a quote quote unquote a nice person or a good girl, then the way to achieve that basically is to be quiet, suppress your feelings and give with a smile on your face. Even if giving is essentially causing you real material harm, you're still supposed to keep giving because ultimately you're going to be rewarded and that reward is the reward of being branded like wifey material. And usually wifey material you know, when we really think about what that term means to men or when it's used, it's usually a woman who's doing all the cooking, all the cleaning, who's basically sort of baby or babyfying of that's the word, her male partner. And instead of it being recognized for what it is, a form of exploitation or a form of an imbalanced form of giving and receiving in a relationship, it's held up as sort of the ideal and even I would say the natural state of being. Now, there wouldn't be a problem with this if people, women specifically, were getting real real meaningful fulfillment from being in this caretaking, giving, I would say, mewling position, then fine, okay, sometimes people engage in behaviors we don't approve of, but sometimes they're getting things out of it that we can't comprehend. In this case, though, we know that it isn't working for women because when you look at some of the reasons, okay, not even some of the reasons, taking a step back, when you look at who initiates divorce in straight relationships, you see that like 60-70% of the time, it's the woman who initiates the divorce. And Part of the reason or part of the rationale for the high rates of female initiation of divorce is because they essentially experience burnout. So if you're married to somebody for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and you are expected to do literally all the emotional labor, all the caretaking, all the giving, all the looking after the children, looking after the household and also still working because in this day and age, and which I'll talk about later on in the episode, in this day and age, it really is a two-parent household, then you're essentially doing all the traditional, quote-unquote, part of being a woman, being a woman in a, in a traditional heteronormative relationship, but you're also doing the masculine part of bringing in money or being the financial provider. And after doing this for a significant amount of time, a lot of women experience burnout. They experience the feeling of feeling emotionally, physically, and psychologically drained. And they think to themselves, well, I'm literally doing anything I'm literally doing everything anyway. I'm doing probably 90% of the of the household labor, 90% of the looking after the children, and I'm also at least probably an equal participant in the financial generation of the home, then 
in many ways, I would actually be better off not being married to this man who essentially leeches off me in every single way. And also on top of that, the happiness that was promised to girls and women that if they continue to give and give and give, that they would get loyalty, love and respect from their partners. That also doesn't materialize because inherently nobody's going to respect somebody who they recognize doesn't really respect themselves and doesn't value themselves and is willing to be used by another person. There's no way or it's very rare, shall we say, that the man in that dynamic ends up respecting the woman more as time goes by. The reverse is actually true. He usually respects her less and usually continues to take from her. And it's almost as though he resents her for being such easy prey in a way. So in a way, soft girl era is sort of redefining the old. So on the one hand, it's a return to old school values or traditional values where women don't want to be in hustle culture, don't want to be in grind culture and want to go back to the quote unquote traditional roles. But it's also a redefinition of traditional roles because in the old traditional roles, the dynamic I just described, the overgiving, the being expected to give the most, the being expected to meal without complaint, that's basically what old traditional values were. Soft girl era says, actually, we're going to go back and we're going to be the homemakers and stay home. But we're basically going to try and carve out only the positive components of sort of those traditional roles, which is why you hear a lot of women talking about, you know, looking for their peace, not engaging with activities that cause them stress, not engaging in relationships that bring them stress and also not overly overly extending themselves to the extent where they experience that burnout that I just described. So in a way, it's a very positive development because it's a reconfiguration of what it meant to be a traditional woman in a traditional relationship. But instead of sort of taking all of it, including the negative parts, they basically carved out like the ideal scenario, the scenario in which, you know, they are still participating in the household they're still engaging in you know the homemaking the feminine quote-unquote activities but they're saying actually they're going to disengage from the more shall we say dysfunctional components being the parts that bring women stress that where they're overextending themselves where they're basically giving to the point of hurt and that in itself or at least on the surface is a very positive development now the reason why i say it's only on the surface is because i think that Even with this carve out or this attempt to reconfigure what it means to be a woman in a traditional relationship, performing traditional gender roles, but not being burdened by or saddled by the more dysfunctional or overly taxing components, it's because it's also going to be inherently unattainable and the and the happiness that you assume is going to 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 come to you if you perform these roles is also not going to materialize and the reason for this is very simple it's because the ideal of the way in which they describe these dynamics going so where they stay home where they are basically engaging in soft life activities and they're going for massages and they're not over engaging in sort for example like household labor let's say they can get like a housekeeper to come and help or a cleaner to come and help like every now and again with the childcare. maybe they're not doing all of it maybe the man is also doing part of it or maybe they're able to get some kind of child care like temporary child care like where somebody comes in and they're a nanny for a couple days a, a week for example or even just being able to um to access some of the more luxurious components of soft life air that we see like being able to go and get your massages and relaxation 
vacation time away and even just like hair and pedicures and manicures and things of that nature. And most importantly, not pursue money or not pursue financial independence because a key component of soft girl era is that you're basically trying to find a man who is quote unquote in his masculine and essentially what that means is being able to find a man that earns a certain amount of income and that income being at the very basic a sufficient amount of money to support both the woman and himself so think about the average person in this average 2024 you quickly realize that actually Time has moved on. So when people look back, and I'm not just going to say women, when people look back and they sort of idealize the era in which women could stay home and be the homemakers and men went out and made a living and he was basically able to afford for for himself and his family a really good quality of life in the sense that he could buy a home, he could afford maybe a holiday holiday or two abroad, he could afford to pay for school fees and and food and and an average level of entertainment. So let's say going out the cinema a couple times a month or just being able to go out and eat at a restaurant like those times are gone unfortunately when you look at the house prices in most big cities it means that most people need two people to be able to afford a mortgage so talking in in london for example the average home probably in london for like a non-fancy sort of average regular place it's probably like 500,000 pounds, 450 to 500,000 pounds, or I would even say really 450 to about 600,000 pounds. And for that, you obviously need a 10% deposit. Most people aren't able to afford that. To pay that off in a 20-year period by themselves is a really, really hard ask. They need to be not like an investment banker or like a high-flying lawyer necessarily. They just need to earn above the average income. So the average income in London, I think, is about 34,000, 35,000. But the average income in the UK is actually much lower. I can actually quickly look that up one second. Okay, just checked. And in the UK, so UK-wide, it's about 39,000 as of the end of 2023, which I would question that figure. And then um, London-wise, or is that London-wise? Let me take that back. So Across London, actually, shall I say, it's £39,000, close to 40000 but across the UK, it's £34,000. So if you imagine a an average home, and I'm not talking a fancy home, I'm not talking a, f- a home with like a large garden or, or like four or five bedrooms or like well-manicured streets, I'm talking just a typical, nice, decent residential home in London, that's probably going to set you back about £600,000 easily. And you'll be wondering where that £600,000 is going because honestly, these houses are not fancy homes. So the idea that it, that one person, one man on an average salary in London, let's even be generous, in London on 40000 can afford to pay that mortgage by himself and on top of that pay for all the household utilities, that's gas, that's electricity, that's phone, that's water, and on top of that pay for a holiday or two a, um, a year, and on top of that pay for general entertainment, like going out to the cinema with a family of like 2.5 kids, shall we say, or going to the theater every now and again, or going even just to eat at a restaurant like once a week, that's an outrageous expectation. You would literally have to be in the top earners to make that. And that 39000 by the way, bear in mind, is a median income, which means that And if you think about how numbers are skewed by the fact that there are super high earners. So in a city like London, there's people who are earning hundreds of thousands of pounds 
every year and millions of millions of of pounds every year but there are also people who are in like really low wages who are in like 18,000 pounds 19,000 pounds 23,000 pounds 24,000 pounds especially when they're sort of um entry level customer service or or customer facing roles in general that tend to be obviously lower paying then that 39,000 figure is not even representative of what the average person is and when you consider that London is a place for immigrants where a lot of people from a lot of different places end up here and many of their first jobs are going to be low income jobs then that 39,000 pounds for London earning is actually not even that representative the reality of that income is going to be a a little bit lower or I would say even much lower than that because actually when you hear that somebody's on 40,000 pounds or or close to 40,000 pounds you think to yourself wow that's a really nice salary I mean depending on their age let's say obviously somebody who is 50 years old is expected to be on a higher salary than somebody who is 25 years old because they've had longer time to make it up the corporate ladder to make it up like the salary ladder so 40,000 I would say I would say is probably somebody who's probably in their mid 30s and I would still say most people hearing that number would think oh that's a nice salary that's a good salary at least certainly people my age, you know, people who are at the 30 year mark, 25 to 30 year mark would think that's a, that's a really good salary. So the point being that this expectation that the way in which you express your feminine aspirations or the feminine side of you or the way that you pursue soft girl era is by basically trying to achieve the 1950s, 1960s maybe 1970s ideal of being able to stay at home and sort of relegate your financial security to another human being who is not even statistically going to be able to afford that is of course a recipe for disaster and it's a recipe for disappointment not just for yourself but also it's an unrealistic expectation that's being placed on your partner in the if you're in a straight relationship in in that male partner and it's going to breed resentment in one form or another because ultimately what you're going to communicate to him is that he is inherently failing you by not being able to achieve that which is unattainable for the average person and here the average person is not a dirty word sometimes i get a real sense that when people say somebody's average looking or earns an average income that it's some kind of some kind of slander on their on their character or their aspirations. No, average just means that if you take everybody and you line them up in a, in a line starting from small to large or whatever the quantity is, they're going to be right in the middle. That's where more, most people are. So it's not that this person is underachieving. It literally just means that they are the majority. This is what the average expectation is in this life, in this context. To put an expectation on somebody, whether it's verbally expressed, explicitly expressed, or just in the undertones of the things that you post online or the things that you say to your friends within earshot, then of course it's going to breed feelings of inadequacy in that person. And also it's going to breed feelings of even simple ingratitude in you because you're going to be looking at your partner when they treat you to dinner, for example, and think, actually, they should be treating me to dinner all the time. Or when they buy you a gift and it's not to you know, to a a monetary value that you had in your mind, you're going to be thinking this person doesn't love me. You're going to inherently equate love to money, but you're going to do it in a way that is wildly unrealistic, which is of course a recipe for, for disappointment on both people. Now, the problem with sort of 
taking social media as at face value is that when we're tuning into TikTok or Instagram or wherever we see these posts of like these beautiful women living like these beautiful lives where they're in complete relaxation bliss and they're going for their weekly massages and weekly manicures, weekly pedicures, they're with their partners, taking them out to lovely restaurants and they're paying the check. And on top of that, we're seeing like fancy handbags being bought for them and like them being taken on on exotic, expensive, like ultra luxury trips. We forget that these people are usually in atypical relationships. So they're usually the people who are fortunate enough to be in relationships with above average earners. Their partners are making significantly more than the average person on the street or the average man on the street or they themselves earn a typical income and then and then because because we tend to fluctuate in the class that we are in so you know naturally the way life calibrates is that if you're in a certain class you just end up being surrounded by people of the same class which means you end up dating people in the same class which means you end up marrying people in the same class so them being with partners that are atypical earners in the sense that they're significantly above the average or just above the average also should be an indication to us that they probably themselves come from an income bracket that is above average. So when we're looking at them thinking, well, she seems to be a regular girl, that's usually nine times out of 10, I guarantee is not the case. And if it isn't because they come from a wealthier background or a higher income bracket, like like family-wise, it's probably because they themselves are an atypical earner. So they themselves maybe occupy roles in which they pay disproportionately. So let's say they are lucky enough to be a, a model, for example, that gets paid much more money. Although obviously I know most models don't make that much money, but for the ones that seem to be able to to afford like luxurious items, it may very well be the case that they are the 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 atypical person in whatever field that they do. And even when we think about influencers or people who make their money by by being on social media and promoting goods and services, whatever it may be, then even the fact that we are looking at them means that they are atypical influencers in that they are the in the bracket of above income earners in the influencer sphere because most people in the influencer sphere are micro influencers who are not making that much money so for us for them to have like hundreds of thousands of followers or even millions of followers in the first place that in itself tells us that they are above the average and actually most people aren't even fortunate enough to be in the micro influencer sphere uh, which i think i forget my friend was telling me and I, I don't know if it's like a, if you have like a, a couple of like a couple of tens of thousands of followers, but it doesn't have to be that high. So even the fact that these people have all these millions of followers, sometimes or hundreds of thousands of followers, then usually they themselves are atypical people. And us trying to measure ourselves against an atypical person who is earning above average or is above average successful levels in whatever field that they pursue again is not comparing apples and apples it's it's comparing apples and oranges and it's drawing the the wrong conclusion and beyond that you know i've just described the 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 some of the background reasons that we might not realize that the person is actually an atypical earner but there's another reason which i always notice on social media especially when women who are young women who are sort of like portraying these lives that are just outside the reach of the most like you know most average people most average women is sometimes we forget that these women are engaging in one form or another of sex work and i've had an episode before where i talk about sugar babying i think it was the episode in fact i know it was the episode when i was talking about p diddy and cassie and i was talking about the dark life of of 
uh, sugar babying or the dark side. And sometimes as well, not always, but sometimes when you see a woman online and she's, let's say, like a 23, 24, 25 year old woman. And at that age, you know, you're really not established career wise because you haven't had a long time to earn. So let's say you went into the workforce at like 21 after university, or let's say you didn't go to university and you started working at around 18. Typically, you're not senior enough in your role to be able to earn the amount of money that would be required to afford the kind of lifestyles that they are showing or demonstrating online. And some of the, some of the times, especially when you see like these women and they're on yachts and they're drinking champagne and they're in really exotic locations, notice that you never ever see a man in these dynamic. And if you think about the young woman who was like in her early 20s, mid 20s, she's probably dating, she's probably around men. When you go clubbing, it's natural there's going to be men. In fact, you might even be looking specifically to meet guys when you go clubbing or go to bars. And that's also the case when people are on holidays. They probably have their eyes that are their their eyes out for a potential romantic partner or they go away in mixed groups like most groups tend to be mixed groups actually no I take that back I would say most people's close relationships tend to be single sex groups and that's true for men and women but when people go on holidays on big holidays especially to like hot destinations they tend to be mixed groups or they often are mixed groups so when you see these photos online of women in yachts wearing bikinis clinking champagne one thing I often notice is that there's rarely any men in that in those photos, whether it's in their background or in the foreground as like key participants or people who went on that trip. And for me, that's a bit of an odd note. And then also I think to myself, how can you afford to be on that yacht? I think to myself, okay, I think I'm probably an atypical earner in many respects. Like if you think that you went to university, you're already in the top 30% of earners. If you did a, a postgraduate study, you're again, I don't know if it's top 15 or top 20, whatever it is, you're in the higher income bracket already. So then when I'm trying to reverse engineer how much they make, I think, God damn, like they've got P. Diddy money. They've got like, they've got not Jeff Bezos money, but they've got serious money because I can only afford a humble holiday away a couple times a year. Let's say I go to Portugal with some friends or I go to Italy with some friends or I go to France with some, France with some friends. It's not extravagant, you know? If I save up, I can stay at a, at a decently nice hotel, but I'm going to be doing average things. I'm going to be going to the beach. I'm going to be going to museums. I'm going to go to galleries. I'm going to be doing the typical things that people do when they're on holidays. I'm not able to be on a, on a yacht. I tell you for a fact, I don't make yacht money. And so when I'm trying to think about how much money I would have to make in my position to be able to go on a holiday and stay at like the most expensive hotel in Dubai and go to the most expensive restaurants in Dubai and do that multiple times a year, not doing that like as a, as a, as a one-off fancy trip every three to four years that I've saved up for, but just as a general lifestyle thing that I just hop on a plane, I fly first class or business class, and I stay in these beautiful places, these beautiful beautiful resorts and I'm in the, on these beautiful yachts I think I need to be making easily like 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 early six figures let's say I'm on like 200 or let's say if I made 150 let's say I made 150,000 to tell you the truth after tax actually let me just work that out after tax real quick so after tax, you'd basically be taking home just under 6000 And even if you were to save every penny of that 6000 it's actually 5979.37 pence in the UK. Assuming you've got, uh, a, on a plan one tax, 
on a plan one um student finance tax and then also assume you've done a postgraduate that's about just you know just under six thousand so if you were to save that six thousand for 12 months and didn't spend any penny of it on housing on on just life expenses on medicine on anything that's about seventy two thousand pounds and i don't know how much it is to charter a yacht especially like a medium-sized yacht for like a week in the south of france but i'm gonna hazard a guess it's probably still outside the reach of that person of a person in that income bracket and certainly outside the reach of them being able to do it regularly maybe they could do it as like a fancy trip if they like split it with their friends but they certainly can't afford to do that even on that salary for themselves so when i see see women on these places on these boats on these yachts living these lifestyle i think even if you are like a really high flying influencer and you're raking in this kind of money it's probably still unrealistic that you can afford this lifestyle which always leads me to the to the conclusion that they are affording it by means that we can't see so either it's what i described in the earlier part where it's because it comes from a particularly wealthy family or their partners are particularly wealthy or the other side of it is sometimes they are sugar babies in 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 one form or another maybe it's not explicitly defined as a sugar baby but i guarantee you usually they're in some kind of arrangement because it there has to be an extraordinary way in which they're able to afford this extraordinary lifestyle that's it's just simple maths and the maths really doesn't add up and also that isn't to necessarily condemn anybody that engages in that lifestyle because it isn't an, a condemnable offense in my in my eyes but what is condemnable i think is to represent yourself in such a way where you make people feel less than because they can afford the things that you can't afford and you're not disclosing the ways in which you're able to afford them so i listened to this really interesting podcast about that was talking about how um the yummy mummy era you know like those women who posted like their life their mommy lifestyle and they're always posing their themselves like rolling their kids in like really fancy prams and they're always matching with their kids or taking their kids to all these developmental classes and they're taking their kids jogging and they're giving their kids the healthiest foods and they're able to spend every moment with that child and they're able to record the the core themselves and spend time recording and editing and they've got the best software and the best cameras and what we always forget in these videos is that they again come from atypical households so the fact that they're able to stay at home all day long with their children automatically you know obviously outside the one-year maternity leave that you get in europe it automatically places them in an atypical earner uh category so when they're selling us this lifestyle the thing that's being left out is that while they're trying to make us aspire to that lifestyle for most people it's literally unattainable because they're not in this atypical earner or atypical um, income category so the problem isn't so much that they're posting these things it's that there can be a level of shame that women feel from consuming this kind of content and feeling as though they're not a good mother for not being able to spend all that time with their children or to be able to afford to give their children all these things whether it's like fancy clothes or fancy prams or even just like really really beneficial things like taking them to developmental classes and it's exactly the same thing with soft girl era content in that sometimes and i'm not saying it's always but a lot of the time actually it's not so much that they're posting this content it's that this content is often unattainable to most people and the reason why people are able to attain these these sorts of luxuries or this sort of soft girl era sort of like um what would, I, what would you say basically like lifestyle like an itemized list of things that you should do as a, as a soft girl 
it when they don't disclose how they're able to afford this lifestyle and particularly when that lifestyle is afforded through extraordinary means or atypical means then ultimately the person consuming that data that information is always going to feel a level of not measuring up and they're going to put unrealistic expectations on themselves and they're going to put unrealistic expectations on their partners as well and the reason why i focus so much on money and income and background on this episode when we're talking about soft girl era because you could argue that soft girl era doesn't necessarily have to mean you have to go and spend money it doesn't mean that it's about how much money you make you could for example get your peace quote-unquote by meditation or by engaging in mind mindful thinking and making a decisive um, effort to be a peaceful person to be a person who is luxuriating in her own femininity and being gentle with yourself and seeking to be mentally well and seeking to be physically well and seeking to just self-care in a way that doesn't cost money so you can do your money for, you can do your hair for free for example you can do your own nails you can give yourself you know like just self-care like taking a nice long bath going for a nice walk reading books that are fulfilling and enriching all those things as well presumably should be able to fit into the soft girl era and i agree they do in fact fit into the self-care and into the soft girl era the problem though is that online i just don't think that's the way that the average or most attractive soft girl content is represented it often is about the things that you wear um and those things having a particular aesthetic that is connected to wealth it's also about going to get massages and getting your hair done, getting your nails done, and being able to afford the things that make you look, quote unquote, feminine. And those things cost money. And also, I think there's a collusion between soft girl era lifestyle, like attainers or people who, who seek to attain that lifestyle and the luxury girl category so they tend to go hand in hand you tend to see i often see in the background or foreground in a way that's like being explicitly designed for me to catch to catch my eye i see like fancy handbags i see like chanel handbags or why sell handbags or i see the fancy coats they're wearing or i see them stepping out of beautiful cars or I see them going to dine at what seems to be expensive restaurants or the holidays they take are not just like holidays where it's a humble holiday and it's just them and their friends and they just look like the average girl or the average group of girls going on a trip with their friends. No, they tend to be luxurious experiences, you know, where you see like waterfalls in hotels, for example, or you see them wearing like diamonds, like matching diamond bracelets and matching diamond necklaces and pretty diamond rings, like things that just clearly tell you that there is a connection between money and this lifestyle in order for you to attain it. And again, I think that's probably a co-opting of what the movement is probably intended to, desi- to to be. Because obviously it is true that you can have a lifestyle that is focused on self-care and focused on looking after yourself that doesn't break the bank. You obviously can get your partner to give you a massage, for example, or go for a nice walk with your friends, or go on a nice holiday that's like a beach holiday that's like relaxing without, the, without it being too expensive. All those things are possible. And I think they should also show that 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 average experience of living in your soft girl era however what i will still be ten toes deep about is that that should not be connected to the financial expectation of your life so soft girl era shouldn't tell you and you shouldn't believe that the average person can live a life 
where they still enjoy those luxuries and those luxuries are only being paid for by a male partner because even people who live who are trying to just have an average life like being able to afford a home for example and raise a family in that home most people now in in this 2024 and for the past few decades actually really have to have two people earning income in a household to be able to live a life that somebody in the 1950s and 60s was able to afford and to sell to women any other alternative reality really is just that it's an alternative reality that's not based on fact and it's going to lead to resentment of their partners and also always feeling as though their life doesn't quite measure up in some way because obviously they're measuring their life to a, a fanta- to a fantasy that isn't a- attainable to most people but also beyond that also putting women in a vul- in a vulnerable position because ultimately being dependent on somebody for your financial means in every respect means that you're always beholden to that person and as I talked about in the P. Diddy and Cassie episode it's unlikely that men who wield money and and are aware of the fact that money gives them power are going to use that power responsibly and that's actually the reason why many women went to the workforce in the first place it wasn't just because things were becoming unattainable it's because as they gained the capacity and the legal freedom to be able to work they realized that actually that afforded them a level of independent income that meant that they could essentially escape some of the more repressive forms of their lives you know like in most countries when you see women attain independent incomes that you tend to see like the the rate of divorce also go up and that's because many women who don't have the capacity to earn an income themselves are trapped in relationships in which the man wields all the power because they have all the money and he doesn't wield that power responsibly and that's what the soft girl era misses out when they are selling to women that there is this ideal partner out there this ideal man that is going to basically make your soft girl dreams come true that's going to allow you to never have to work a day again that's going to be able to buy you massages and take you on fancy trips and buy you like diamond rings and diamond bracelets yeah maybe that's true but it's unlikely that the average person the average woman in that dynamic is also going to be happy be able to be able to have the kinds of freedom she's grown used to the freedom to go anywhere she pleases the freedom to have any kind of friend that she wants to dress as she likes to engage in any activity that she likes there is a cost to being financially dependent on somebody who's already been socialized to think that they are the leader and in control in general life even even outside the soft girl era it's unlikely it's going to result in an equitable treatment of that woman in that relationship so that wraps up this week's episode you know i wanted to talk about the negative sides of the soft girl era and and what i see online as sort of an unrealistic selling of what that lifestyle is supposed to give to us and also how it's sort of like a repackaged form of traditional gender roles but how they've essentially excluded all the negative parts that we know exist in those kinds of dynamic so if you listen to the very end thank you so much and if you liked the episode and enjoyed what i talked about today i would love it if you followed me on on spotify and also if you could take the time to give me a review that would be really appreciated thank you so much and catch you in the next one